Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege to be in your house. Thank you, Lord, for thy word. We thank you for this audience, congregation here this morning. God bless your people, Lord. Bless all of us with your love, your grace, your mercy, your goodness, your kindness. We thank you, Lord, for all things. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, greet them in Jesus' name. Tell them they look nice today. Praise God. And Sister Lawrence, Sister Bermudis' mother. God bless Sister Lawrence. Nice to see you with us today. God bless you. I've known these folks for a long, long time. Sister Grace, I knew her when she was born, you know, way back there. Knew her when she was a baby. They're good, great people. She's Sister Bermudis now. Amen. Time goes on, doesn't it? Praise God. God bless each and every one of you. Well, yesterday was your pastor's birthday. I, uh, it was. Uh, a number of years ago, you know, he's been pastor here now for 17 years this month. Not only is November his birthday month, but he's been pastor here now for 17 years. And the transactions all happened in November 17 years ago. So he's been your pastor for 17 years. And uh, <clears throat> I had had uh, bypass surgery, open heart surgery, not by bypass as they call it. And uh, in September, and so I said, I think it's time for us to change over. I had been sort of fighting off some of these other pastors who wanted to take him on as an assistant and then work him in as the pastor of their churches. He was out evangelizing here and there, and they would say, hey, uh, Brother David, we'd like for you to, you know, I want to give you an offer. I want you to stay here, give you an assistance. Now, he said, well, no, I'm working with my dad right now. <clears throat> so it's time to get to rock along, I realized if I didn't do something pretty quick, somebody was going to offer him a good church, and I was, this church was going, to, was going to miss out. So uh, anyhow, one day we talked about it, and I said I was 36 years old when we came here. And I said, uh, and the church at that time was, I think, five years old. And uh, that's what we'll be celebrating January is the, is the beginning of this church. And uh, so I said, uh, I've been here now for, you know, some 28 years. I was 36 years. You're 36 years old. I'm going to pass the reins to you. Amen. And we made the transaction. Amen. And he's been a good pastor, hasn't he? Brought the church a long ways. So God bless you, Pastor. We're glad for your birthday, and I think he said something like 39. I can't remember the exact date or whatever. <laughs> the old Jack Biddy number, amen. All right, I'm going to uh, go in today. Today is our second lesson on the subject that I have chosen for a series here at this time, and that is that uh, Jesus Christ, the voice of God. Jesus Christ, the voice of God. We talked about last week. <clears throat> how that it was prophesied by Moses. We've referred to this also in our Wednesday night Bible study series, short series, about how that uh, the Lord told Moses uh, and told the children of Israel, uh, I will send you a prophet and uh, you will listen to him just like you listen to Moses. And it will not be a dynamic thing. It will be just his words. He will say it and you must believe him. That's the key is going to be in your faith to believe him and so forth. We talked about that, and uh, today I want to talk to you about uh, Christ's coming, his coming. And uh, the first thing I want to talk to you about is his identity. Who was Jesus Christ? In other words, his coming, who was he? 
And while most of us say, oh, we know, he, you know, he's God manifested flesh, I know. But I want to really show you some scriptures and deal with it this morning so that we understand that when Jesus came, who he was, why he had the power that he had. Moses was a man God had chosen, but Jesus Christ was more than that. He was more than that. And uh, <clears throat> I'm going to go into a little detail about it here, and I want to talk to you about the Lord's coming. I'm going to first of all talk to you this morning about what the Old Testament had to say about God himself, or what he said about himself. What God, I'm going to give you some scriptures here, what God declared about himself to understand who Jesus was when he came. And uh, if I can fast forward uh, into the Christian era of time, about 200 years beyond the church age, the beginning of it, whenever the apostles lived and they evangelized the world in the first century and so forth, and the, the great revivals happened and so forth. Finally, the apostles all died off. John was the last one. He died in 98 AD, <clears throat> almost at the turn of the century. The book of Revelation was written in 96 A.D., and uh, then John passed away. And uh, then the church began to go into different directions. What happened was that there would, people, would be people who would come into the church. Some of them were Greek philosophers, and they had developed and brought with them philosophy from the Greek culture. And the philosophies of the Greeks, they had many of them, and many of these Greek philosophers felt like that their philosophy was ever bit as righteous and ever bit as uh, godly, if I can call that, that word, as was the prophets of the Old Testament in the Jewish history of the Jews. And so they began to bring in these uh, different views. Uh, they later would refer to them, you know, as, as Gnostics, as Gnostics. They were Gnostics, not agnostics, but Gnostics. And uh, they brought in all kinds of beliefs and various things like this. And when you read the books of the New Testament, like First John, uh, second chapter, the second chapter of the Second Peter, the book of Jude, uh, like that, they talk about these people and how that they have tried to bring in heresies and so forth in the church and so forth. So from that point on, the church began to have a falling away period of time. There began to be splintered, spasmodic groups here and there, believing various things bringing to themselves, heaping to themselves different beliefs of their own. And uh, <clears throat> it rocked along this way until 318 uh, AD when uh, Constantine came along. Constantine was not a Christian. His mother was a Christian and he embraced Christianity and was never really baptized himself until the end of his life. He was baptized at the end of his life. But Constantine saw where that if he could unify all of Christianity and center all of the Roman Empire around Christianity as a national or an empire religion, that it would unify his kingdom. And so he began to do that. And in 325 AD, they had what was called the Nicene Council. I have a, a book here that is written by uh, Westcott. He was a professor at uh, Cambridge University back in the latter part of the 1800s. This book was printed and is very old. It was printed in uh, 1909 and uh, he had already deceased, uh, Westcott had. But in this book, this whole, this book entirely is all about the Nicene Council. Very valuable book, 
it's very rare, uh, but in this book, he gives all kinds of reasons why there was the Nicene Council. I, I only mention this to tell you what they did not bring out, and that's what I want to talk to you about here this morning. But they talked about, there's three things that they talked about. One was when should they celebrate Easter? They established that. We still follow that to this day. At the Nicene Council, they uh, also had to make the decision, what should they do about Christians who recanted uh, during persecution times? A lot of those Christians who were Christians, when they said, if you don't, if you don't recant, we'll take your life. They recanted and they lived. Others did not and they died. So they said, these that recanted and did not, what should we do with them? Should we let them back in the church or should we forbid them to ever come in the church? And so this was wrestled around. Finally, they decided to be Christ-like and allow them to come back into the church. The third thing and the most important and the one that was the most uh, grueling in all of the coming together was the identity of Christ. Who was Jesus Christ? And they had all kinds of beliefs. They thought, some thought he was the second in the, in the Godhead of two. Others believed he was the third in the Godhead of, or, or the second in the Godhead of three. Uh, others believed that he was this or that. And they had all kinds of various beliefs. Some believed that he was uh, an angel and so forth. Uh, some believed he was Michael the archangel that had been you know, incarnated and so forth. I don't know whether you know this or not, but the Jehovah Witness believe that to this day. I don't know how many of you know that, if you know anything about Jehovah Witness. They believe that Jesus Christ was Michael the Archangel. That's why they're not Jesus' witnesses. They are Jehovah's Witnesses. See, Jesus is an inferior person. I just tell you that, and that's the truth. And you can ask them, they know that. I was in Washington, D.C. here not long ago, and uh, standing in front of the Capitol building, and it was on a Sunday, and uh, they were passing out Jehovah Witness tracts. And the guy says, uh, would you uh, like to know more about the Jehovah Witnesses? I said, would you like to know more about the Jesus Witness? That's what I am. <laughs> so I'm a Jesus Witness. If you want to listen, I'll tell you all about Jesus. Well, they, they pretty well backed off of that. They didn't want to hear about Jesus because they're the Jehovah Witness. I'll go move on here. That's not our subject. <clears throat> but I just wanted to say here that all of this, there's one thing in here I want to read to you. And this is a statement that said toward the end, when they had done all of their agreements, worked out all their details, brought it all together, and concluded that they were not scripturally sound on establishing the Trinity doctrine as the concept of Christianity. They admitted that, and they admitted that uh, it did have a beginning, but they would not date it so that it could ever be said it did have a beginning, because in their way of thinking, it never had a beginning. That is the Trinity doctrine. They came to this statement. I read this from Westcott. It's just one little short paragraph. He says, but in the conduct of the scriptural argument, one most important fact has been universally overlooked. The scriptures which were appealed to on both sides were the scriptures of the Greek Bible. There is not, as far as I have noticed, this is Westcott talking, any reference to the Hebrew text of the Old Testament as the final authority in which the whole course of the controversy or is there in the scripture scruples of the part of Athanasius, it was Athanasius' creed that was accepted and made into the Trinity doctrine, is using without apology or explaining passages from books which are not contained in the Hebrew canon, which canon is writings. 
Now, the reason I'm reading that is to let you know that when at the Nicene Council, when they established the Trinity, they did not look at the Old Testament to say, let's see what the Hebrew Bible had to say about God before the coming of Christ. And so in talking about Jesus' coming and the, uh, the Lord saying, I'm going to send my word through to you and it will be through a prophet, and then, you know, the Messiah, and all the Old Testament prophecies of the coming of Christ, God also stated himself to be one. Now, I want you to notice this, and I'm going to ha- pass out these uh, handouts to you here. If you, uh, brethren, will give me a hand on this, Brother Mason. If you'll hand these out, I hope we have enough. We have a couple hundred there. I think we'll, that should help us all here. But I want to talk to you here about how that God declared himself to be God and to be one God in the Old Testament. And this is very important because if God was one God in the Old Testament, there will always have to be that way. It can never change because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so uh, what I'm handing out to you here is just a sampling. It is not in no means the conclusiveness of it. It is just a sampling here of scriptures and so forth that declare uh, God in the Old Testament to be one God. And that's very important. If God was one, then when Jesus came, there couldn't all of a sudden be two, you know. That's why the Jehovah Witnesses says if God was one in the Old Testament and Jesus came, he can't be God. This is what they say. Therefore, he has to be an angel. And that's why they say he's Michael the Archangel and so forth. They got, you know, and of course, that's, that's refutable and, and, de- and can be easily defeated in debate. I won't go any further with that. But uh, if you get your paper, and I trust that all of you have gotten one, if you don't have it, raise your hand so that so that our ushers can see that you need a paper in your hand. Uh, If you'll allow me, I'm going to move on here. Brethren, if you'll help out these folks right over in here, you ushers, they need some papers over here, right in this area. All right. Uh, If you look at the the first one, God declared himself to be one God throughout the Old Testament. That's what's at the top of your paper there. And number one says he was one in creation, one in creation. Uh, A, he created all things alone. Now, I'm going to read a couple of verses to you, and I want you to look with me in Isaiah 44, 24. Isaiah 44, 24. And uh, somebody will make sure the people upstairs have, I I think you have a copy. All right, thank you. If you look at this uh, 44, 24 with us, this is what it says here. Thus saith the Lord thy redeemer and he that formed thee from the womb I am the Lord that maketh all things that stretcheth forth the heavens alone now if you've got your Bibles underline that word alone there's nobody with him God all by himself made all things that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself so God is saying I did all this by myself all the heavens and the earth I made look at verse uh, 18 and verse in chapter 45 that's the very ne- next verse that you see on your paper there Isaiah 45 18 for thus saith the Lord that created the heavens God himself that formed the earth and made it he had established it 
He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. And underline that part, there is none else. So I'm just trying to show you just two scriptures and there are others as well where the Lord says, I made everything all by myself. Now, when you get into the New Testament and you see scriptures that speak of that all things were made by Jesus Christ, you say, okay, was there two? No, no, there was one. There was one. And I'm going to bring it around to let us know that when Jesus came, he came as that one mighty God manifest in flesh. And while that's a sort of a, uh, you know, like a no-brainer to many of you, I want you to understand here that a lot of people don't understand this. And that's why I'm talking about it, because to understand Jesus' teachings when he came, and to understand all that he said and why he said it and what he said, is to understand that this was God's voice in a man, in, you know, his, his own manifestation that declared the word of God to the human race. Therefore, we have no options to say, oh, I don't think I'll believe him. I don't think I'll follow Jesus because this, he was the voice of God. When he spoke, they could say, this is God's voice to us. Let me move on here. If you look at number two, he was one of the, he was one to the nation of Israel. He made himself to be one. He declared himself to be one. And if you look at Deuteronomy 6, 4, just uh, in your Bibles, that's back when, back in the book of Deuteronomy here. And it's very simple, and it's a verse of Scripture that uh, the Lord told them to write. He told them to write it down, put it on the doorpost of your house, uh, write it on uh, leather strips and put them around your ankles, I mean, around your wrist, rather, and put it around your head even, and put it on your, up here on your forehead. Just don't ever forget. And here's what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And uh, I shall love the Lord our God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he goes on to say here, teach these to your children. Verse 7, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest in the way. In other words, not only should you understand that I am one, but also teach those to your children as well. Uh, in Deuteronomy 4, if you go back two chapters in your Bible, Deuteronomy 4, 35, that's the scripture under B. I'm on number two, B here. There is uh, no one else, and he stated this. And we're looking at 4, 35, chapter 4, verse 35. And he says here in this verse, Unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God. There is none else beside him. Excuse me. And if you look also down in verse 39, know therefore this day that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath, there is none else. If you've got a pen in your Bible, underline that there is none else. And this is very important to understand that God established himself to be one. Now, this is what that early church, I'm going to refer back to this book. This is what that early church uh, whenever they established the doctrine of the Trinity, they did not consider the writings of the Old Testament. And if they had gone back to the Old Testament, they would say, there's no way we could come up with a Trinity or a, a twosome. You know, another, there was one that had come up with that God's two people. Uh, <clears throat> they, there's no way they could have come up with that 
if they had looked at that Old Testament because even in the Old Testament, God said, I am one on one. And so they, you can't make him two or three or multiple uh, deities if there's only one. Uh, I'm going to have you look at number three in your notes there. Uh, number two there, A, B, and C there. C, it says, this truth was taught to their children. I just read that verse to you. <clears throat> look at number three here. This truth that there is only one God was reaffirmed to Israel by the prophet Isaiah and by other prophets. I'm only going to use Isaiah because I would bore you to death and take up all the rest of our Sunday school time if I read all that all the prophets had to say about it. So let me just read a few choice verses in Isaiah. And if you look at Isaiah 43, this is one that we looked at a while ago when this uh, chapter 44, if you look in Isaiah 43, uh, 43, 15, I believe it, 10, it is. 43, 10. It says, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servants whom I have chosen. Ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. So if Jesus Christ is our Savior, then Jesus has to be God. Because God says here, there's none beside me, I am your Savior. Okay? Uh, looking a little further on in that, in, this, in that same 43rd verse, I've read 10 there to you. Uh, <clears throat> look in Isaiah 44, 6. <clears throat> 44 6 thus saith the Lord the king of Israel notice that Jesus Christ was the king of Israel that's why they nailed on his cross and the Jews says don't say that he is the king of Israel they said that to Pilate don't say he's the king of Israel say he said he was the king of Israel and Pilate said what I have written I have written and it stands and it was written in three languages it was written in three languages in Hebrew Aramaic and in Greek there it was on the over the cross Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. Well, this is what Isaiah says here, and this is what God said in Isaiah. This is God speaking through Isaiah to the people. 44, 6, thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, that is Israel's Redeemer, which is, of course, was Christ, Jesus Christ. Uh, it said, thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and Israel's Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. All right? When you get in the book of Isaiah, you find out the words speak that about Jesus Christ. The Bible says, when Jesus said, I am the first and I am the last, when he showed, appeared unto John, the revelator, he said, I am the first and I am the last. And it's all together. It's all tied together. Uh, I'm looking also while I'm here in this 44th verse, uh, 44th chapter, rather, look at verse 8. Fear ye not, neither be afraid, uh, here uh, have not I told thee from that time and have declared it that ye are even my witnesses is there a God beside me yea there is no God I know not any these are all the words of Jesus that he's speaking here and uh, so if you look at verse 24 here's another one thus saith the Lord thy redeemer and he that formed thee from the womb I am the Lord that maketh all things I think I read that to you already uh, that's where he made all things and, and so forth. Uh, look at uh, 
45.5. I read that one to you. No, I haven't. Look at 45.5. I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. Look at verse 6. That they may know from the rising of the sun from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. Are you getting the picture here of the bombardment of verses of Scripture that the Lord is telling Israel? Israel, there is nobody else. And he says it, you know, very extensively over in the book of Deuteronomy. And then in Isaiah, one prophet alone, he starts mentioning this so that Israel understands there is nobody else besides God himself. He is God. He is the Lord. When you see the word L-O-R-D, all capital letters, that refers to God by his name. If you see a, if you see a capital L, and a little O and a little R and a little D, that refers to the word Adonai, which has reference to God in the Bible. But when the Bible was translated originally from the Greeks, by the Jews rather, uh, into the New Testament, and then finally from their own into other languages, when that was done, they used the word Lord because they said that God's name is too sacred for us just to throw around. It was called, it was actually it was the I am. That's what he had revealed to Moses. I am that I am. And so his, my name is I am, which means that I am what? I am everything. I am where? I am everywhere. I am when? I am every time, all times, everything. You know, he's, he's it. I mean, whatever you put there, that's God. God is everywhere. He's a, never has there a time he was not. Never shall there be a time he shall not be. Never is, there's no place he is not. Never shall there be a place he shall not be. And on and on and on. So God is everything. So he told Moses, he said, my name is I am. And that I am, it translated was four letters, Greek, uh, four Hebrew letters, that was called the tetragamation because it means four letters, tetragamations. Uh, and it's J-H-V-H, and that's how they made Jehovah, or Y-H-W-H, that's how they made Yahweh. They put vowels in between and came up with a word or a name and so forth. But the original Jews felt like that the word Lord would just adequately identify the Lord as being, uh, as being what we call Yahweh or Jehovah God, same Yahweh and Jehovah is the same. And so when you see those capital letters, L-O-R-D, that's speaking of God himself speaking. So it goes on to here to talk about uh, the word Lord here in all of these different aspects. Uh, look, at, uh, look at 4518, 4518. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Uh, in that same 45th chapter, uh, verse 21, I'll just read the latter part of 21. Just the latter part. It gets to be long verses. There is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Verse 22, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. And I'm just trying to show you here the extensiveness of this. One other verse I'll read to you here, and that's the one in Isaiah uh, 46, 9. And that's the one that's the last one on number three, if you look at that. And it says here, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. And so all these verses, and there are others. I've skipped many of them because to save time. Look at your notes, if you would, for a moment. Everybody looking at your notes. 
Look at the bottom where it says conclusion. Everybody see that conclusion? If there had been more than one person in the Godhead, God certainly would not have lied to Israel throughout the Old Testament by telling them, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. See, God would not have told them that if there had been a trinity or if that had been two gods or if that had been a plurality of gods. God wouldn't have told them that. And so he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Therefore, we must conclude that God was never a trinity or any other form of polytheism. Polytheism means the belief in many gods. Theism being God, thea, and poly is many. The belief in many gods in the Old Testament. And since God doesn't change, then neither is God a plurality or a trinity in the New Testament. Because God never changes. Now this is not in your notes there, but look with me in Malachi 3.6. That's the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi 3.6, and I'll just refer to this verse of Scripture very quickly here. Uh, Malachi is, uh, you go to Matthew and then it's the very next page back or the next in my Bible, a couple of pages, whatever, is the book of Malachi 3, 6. And he simply says this, for I am the Lord, I change not. This is what God says in the Old Testament. I am the Lord, I change not. And notice the word L-O-R-D, all capital letters here referring to the mighty God that revealed himself to, uh, to Moses. Uh, there in out of the burning bush and then one other verse to confirm with that is one found in James 117 these are verses that we're all familiar with but I'm sort of putting them together for us to get the real picture here look at 117 of James every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is not variable. He doesn't, you know, he's not wishy-washy. He doesn't change. And it says even, not even a shadow of turning, not even a shadow of it. God, in other words, is straight on. And the scripture says in the New Testament, speaks of Jesus Christ. It says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God never changes. If he was one in the Old Testament, then he will be one in the New Testament because God doesn't change. This is where they missed the boat. One of the things they missed the boat. They should have said, you know what? Let's go back and look at that Old Testament. You know why they didn't? Because Israel at that time, 325 AD, Israel had ceased to be a nation. They had been defeated and destroyed by the Romans. Their temple had been destroyed. Jerusalem had been leveled. They, they had, I don't know whether you know this or not, but on the Temple Mount, they had built a temple to Jupiter. Jupiter, who was, that was a pagan god, is an abomination. And a guy by the name of Hadrian, who was an emperor of Rome, went and built this temple of, of Jupiter there. And it was abomination. The Jewish people had been killed, many of them taken into slavery, and then they had been sold on the auction blocks in Egypt, and then they had been shipped out all over the world and scattered all over the world. And this is what Israel was, so that their, so their customs was gone, their, almost their history. Josephus wrote a big history on them, and that survived. They had the history, of course, of the, of the, of the holy writings of the Bible. Uh, some of them were hid. That's where the Dead Sea Scrolls came in. They were, many of them were hidden in those caves before that destruction of the temple happened. 
And all of these things was, was preserved. So whenever those Gentiles decided to come up with the identity of Christ, who was Jesus Christ, they did not refer to the Old Testament because why should they refer to the history of a people that no longer even meant anything as far as they were? They knew who the Jews were. They knew all about Israel being, you know, being subdued as a nation. They knew they were scattered all over the place. They knew that. But what they believed didn't matter because they were not a voice in the world anymore. You get the picture here? And so they went their own way and went down a road that, in which they did not involve the Old Testament. Now, I'm going to hand out some other handouts to you here this time. And uh, this is where Jesus is coming into the world. If you'll hand these out, brethren. And uh, I've got about 10 minutes, and I'll do what I can on this one. I, uh, this is uh, where, where the Lord came to this world. And I'm going to sort of give you some, uh, a picture here. It's somewhat of a, in a picture form. This is what you're, you're getting now. And so when you get it, you'll understand here what we're referring to. So when I refer to it, but you'll have, a, you'll have a, your own sheet there before you. And the first thing we're going to refer to here is establishing the fact that God is a spirit. This right here represents a spirit, the spirit of God. What, what does God look like? Well, nobody knows, but the Spirit of God here. And so this cloud-looking thing here represents the Spirit of God. And John 4, 24, if you want to look there very quickly, it's a very simple verse of Scripture that I'll read to you. And it simply says, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's for us. You know, we must worship him in spirit and truth because God is a spirit. But this statement, God is a spirit, Let's us know that this God as a spirit, praise the Lord, overshadowed Mary. And the Bible says Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Ghost. Look at Luke 135. Luke 135 in your Bibles. If you, I'm going to move very quickly through this. Luke 135. It says, and the angel answered. This is whenever the angel appeared unto her and said, you're going to have a son. And I shall call his name Jesus and it shall be great. And so when she said, how can I, do, how, how can I have a child seeing I know, know not a man? And uh, this is verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be seeing I know not a man? Verse 35, the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. It had not happened yet. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The Son of God. So that whenever Mary, was, the baby was born, and this is recorded in Matthew 118 through 125. It's also recorded in Luke uh, chapter 2 extensively. Luke and Matthew records the birth of Christ. Uh, Mar uh, uh, Mark and John records the beginning of the ministry of John the Baptist. They don't record the birth of Christ. So in these two books of Matthew and Luke, you can read about the birth of Christ. 
But in that, Mary gave birth to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was born. But when Jesus was born, the Spirit of God also inhabited him. That is the man Christ Jesus. So that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Now, when God was in Christ, it wasn't two gods involved here or two persons of God. It was the one God that was in Jesus Christ reconciling the world to himself. I'm going to give you four scriptures there are many others, but let me just have you look at these very quickly. All of God dwells in Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.19. And I realize that I may move a little faster than what you do, uh, but I trust that they have them on the overhead. You know, I appreciate those people upstairs there that work on this because they are so quick and, and adequate. I'm amazed at how they do it sometimes. God bless you folks. Look at uh, 519. To wit that God was in Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Unto himself. <clears throat> Not imputing their transgressions, their transpass, trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That is, we who, who uh, preach the gospel uh, is committed unto us the word of reconciliation so that we preach and teach the word of God and it will reconcile men back to Christ, back to God through Jesus Christ. Now, going on a little further here, 1 Timothy 3.16 is another verse and uh, we're simply moving very quickly here. I know our time is getting away. Look at 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in flesh, manifest in flesh. That is made known in flesh. The word manifest means made known. So God made himself known. There's not three different persons in the Godhead. There are manifestations of God. Maybe, let's say three manifestations. Actually, there's more than three. But there's manifestation of God where God makes himself known to man. And in this case, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and believed in the world, and received up into glory, and so forth. Now look at Colossians 2, 9 and 10. Now you don't have 10 on your notes there, but write it on there. Write 10 on there. <coughs> Excuse me. And look at 9, because I want to read 9 and 10. This is Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everybody see that? In Jesus Christ. This is all about Jesus. For in Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and we are complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and powers. You got Jesus Christ, you've got it all. Everybody say praise the Lord. And that's the truth, folks. If you got Jesus, you got it. You've got everything. Everything is from the Lord, it's in him. And Isaiah 9, 6, I just sort of threw that one in for what it's worth. Isaiah 9, 6, uh, that's a verse that I've always liked. It's a prophecy of the coming of Christ. But it says so much in that one verse, Isaiah 9, 6. Excuse me. N.A. Urshan said that he went to school when he was a boy. His father, Andrew Urshan, was an apostolic preacher. And he went to school and, I don't know, so they got him a little bit turned around on Jesus being God. 
God being in Christ. He went home, told his dad, and you got all these signs on the wall, take them down because there's no scripture, you know, this or that. His father said, let me, let me show you. And he set him down, and he started with his Isaiah 9, 6. And then they later said, when he showed him that, he said, I knew Jesus was God. I mean, he was just a boy then. He went on to become our general superintendent. And of course, he's passed away since that time. Look at 9, 6. For unto us a son is born, a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government should be upon his shoulder. This is a prophecy of Jesus Christ is coming. His name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. His name shall be called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We all know Jesus was called the Prince of Peace. Amen. But he's also called the Everlasting Father, also called the Mighty God. And there is a meaning behind both of those phrases, though they refer to the same. The mighty God means that he is the God that created all things. The everlasting father means he is the begetter of all life, all life in the world. Everything that's created isn't life, as we know life. Uh, but that can be, you know, rock, a rock is not life, but God created it. You know, he's the creator of all things. I won't go any further into that. But anyhow, he's a mighty God in Christ. Now, jumping down below that, if you look just below that, Jesus Christ was all God and all man. This is what we're emphasizing, and this is what we've got pointing out. Jesus Christ was all God and all man. And as man, he was tempted. He was hungry. Are you see my pen down here? This is where I'm pointing at the bottom of your page. There. Let me push this up. Okay. As man, he was tempted. He was hungry. He died on Calvary. This Galatians 4.4 simply said he was born of woman. Born of woman. This is the man part. As man, he prayed. As man, he was thirsty. On the cross, he said, I thirst. As man, he wept. The Bible, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And then as God, 14.10, healed the sick, walked on water, opened blinded eyes, fed the multitude, raised the dead, forgave sin. That's why those, those uh, uh, Pharisees and Sadducees says, uh, you can't forgive sins. Said to a man, he said, thy sins be forgiven, thee rise, rise and walk. He said, you can't forgive sins, only God can forgive sins. That's why, exactly why he did it, because he was showing them he was God. Praise the Lord, only God can forgive, and they knew that. But as God, he forgave sin. I'm going to read one last verse of scripture, we're going to finish this up now. And that's the one in St. John chapter 14. And there are other verses of Scripture very much like this. Look at this very closely. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to close. Verse 6, 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Folks, you can't be saved any other way except through Jesus Christ. I'd like to say that all those good people that are Muslims and that are Hindus and that are Confucius and that is you know, on and on and on, the Taoism, all those other religions, but you can't be saved except through Jesus Christ. And this is, this is the way it is. Uh, except through me, he said, but by me. Verse 7, if you had known me, you should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye have known him and have seen him. This is what they said. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Verse 9, Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou, show us the Father? 
Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? How can that be? The Father in me is God's Spirit in him. And how could he be in the Father? If you had a light bulb in here and that light bulb was one and it was giving out light, you would say that the light is in the bulb. But since the light goes out all over the place, the bulb is in the light. Everybody with me? If that's too deep, why, forgive me. <laughs> but, but above the light. He said, I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. The Father is, you know, God dwelled, fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in him. But God's spirit is everywhere. No place that it is not. And everything. If you can't figure it out, don't worry about it. God is so great, we can never figure him out anyhow. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to finish reading this. Verse 10. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, the Father in me, and the words that I speak, I speak unto you myself, as the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. This is what we're talking about here. All these healings and things, he said, he doeth the works. That is the Spirit of God in him. Uh, or else believe me for the very work's sake. And my point is simply this. Jesus, when he came, he was the mighty God of, of, the, of the Old Testament, who was the mighty God of Israel, the mighty God of heaven, the only God. And when Jesus came, he was that one and only God. And every soul will have to believe the words of Jesus to be saved. That's why he said, by his words shall you be saved and shall you listen. Aren't you glad you know the Lord this morning? Would you stand with me and let's lift our hands and worship him right now. Would you lift your hands and let's glorify the Lord. Jesus, we thank you for your blessings, your goodness, God. Thank you for these wonderful people, Lord, that love your name, love your word, love your truth. Let us all be saved. And if we're not saved today, let us get saved today, Lord. For we know time is running out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you in the name of the Lord.